Hello, my name is Sir Knight of Black Trans TV, and I'll be having a conversation with Mojo Disco for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. Today, it is February 16, 2020, and this is being recorded at Mojo Disco's beautiful apartment. Mojo, let the people know who you are. What's up, y'all? It's the one and only Mojo Disco. Here I am, light of the sun. I am an artist, creator, model, visionary, and just overall dope human being from Brooklyn, New York. And I'm happy to be here. So, um, I am at this current rate, <laughs> I'm 27 years old. 28 in March, and um, my gender pronouns are she, her. Um, I would describe my gender as something that is very holy, something that is very sacred, something that I have fought for. Um, my gender is woman. My sex is female <laughs> after the work I've done. And I'm happy to be here with that. I was born in Queens, New York to a mother and a father. I was born in Jamaica Hospital on March 26, 1992. I am an only child to my mom. I am one of many to my dad. Um, I grew up in Queens. I went to public school 118, the Lorraine Hansberry School followed by MS-67, Louis Pasteur, and I went to high school. I did one a one-year bid at Andrew Jackson, and it was very ghetto, and I had to get out of there. Um, and I transferred to the High School of Fashion Industries, where I graduated in 2010. I did not pursue a um, college degree because I just didn't, it wasn't that deep for me. And I was already making moves because my high school was so awesome in those regards. So I didn't really see the necessity of accumulating debt and being poor to gain an education when I was already being educated in the fields I was interested in. Um, but I did go to several colleges and do fashion shows and talks and panels. So the colleges was paying me. Take note of that. Um, an early encounter I had with the trans community, I can tell you right now, my first experience of trans people were on Jerry Springer. And it's unfortunate because that's literally all the representation the girls had at one point. So my experience of um, trans women specifically were, was very negative. It was very toxic. It was very just sad. And I never looked at trans women as a reality because it was portrayed in such a comical or just toxic way. Um, my first time meeting and trans woman um, who's lived experience in person was probably about six years ago. Serena, shout out to Serena, um, a good homegirl of mine. She is the person who coached me in my transition, if you will. Um, and she's a white girl, so, you know, I was very weary about that because resources are not always the same for us colored girls, but she coached me and she gave me the resources that I needed and she connected me to primary care physicians 
And from there, I started my um, trans journey. So the first time I heard the word trans was from Serena. Because like many uneducated and ignorant people in the hood, I was familiar with the term tranny, which is a slur. Um, I didn't know it to be a slur because no one ever educated me on that fact. Um, but it was in my talk to Serena and other many, many, many other trans women that I learned what the language was. And I learned that a lot of the things I felt in my life was um, gender dysphoria. Now, that's not every trans person's experience, but it was mine. And once I learned about it, I understood that, okay, maybe something's not right here. You know, society told me first and foremost that I was a gay man all of my life, from gay child to gay man. And I accepted it because I didn't know anything else. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. Um, I was never a boy. I was never a man. I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. I was a woman trapped in a man's body. And in 2016, I gave myself permission to be free. And that's how I entered my trans journey. Um, the first time I heard the term trans was then, um, but other terms as such as transsexual, transvestites, queen, gender nonconforming, butch, ag, those things of that nature, they came a little bit um, later as I started to integrate into community and I got to know people from different walks of life. For me, growing up, I grew up hip-hop. I grew up in a time where hip-hop was going from community to global phenomenon. Um, many people in my family are musicians, rappers, singers. So hip-hop was all I knew. Um, hip-hop is notoriously homophobic, transphobic, and all the other phobias you could think of. So it was never a thought in my mind about these terms. So once I started to navigate outside of that, and I would credit my high school to that because you, at my high school of fashion industries, I met so many different people. Um, once I started to navigate outside of the hip hop realm and just see what the world really was outside of my own neighborhood, I learned these terms and I met people who identify as transsexuals, transvestites, and X, Y, and Z down on the piers and the village, all that stuff. You know, the terms change, you know, yearly, but Everything pretty much has the same meaning as it did back then. You talk a little bit about being out on the pier and mm -hmm. meeting people out there and how that made you feel. Um, being out on the pier, it was very, um, it was very interesting to me because I I didn't grow up in poverty. Um, I was never excommunicated from my family because of who I was. My family has always been very supportive in who I was. So hearing people's stories. And seeing people literally having to choose their freedom over their um, safety, their freedom over their housing, their freedom over their, you know, eating. Like, these are things I really, I really learned to respect because I didn't have that experience. I didn't, um, I didn't get kicked out for who I was. I mean, a lot of my life was in the closet because I had to be. So, for me, I think... If I would have came out earlier on, it would be a different story. But my family was still supportive regardless. So I'm very blessed. A lot of people don't have those opportunities. A lot of people, like I said, are forced to choose. And sometimes when you're in a position where your freedom is on the line or your, you know, your liberty is on the line, you want to think of things that 
really just serve you. And a lot of people make those choices. And I think that's the best choice you could ever make. Um, historically, people of color have tragic coming out stories, especially um, feminine identifying males or men presenting. Um, they have tragic stories because I think over the years we have seen a more acceptance of lesbianhood versus um, gayness. So it's different. You know, in the hip hop community, you'll see many dykes, you'll see many AGs, you'll, meet, you'll see many of those just in the mix and it's no problem. But when it's on the other hand, you don't see it. It's hidden, it's down low, it's secretive. So, you know, the black community, we got some work to do and we're always going to have some work to do. You speak a little bit about growing up as a young black child in New York to mm -hmm. black parents and mm -hmm. how you navigated that a little mm -hmm. bit. So, my I grew up as an only child to my mom. My mom was a single mom. Um, my dad, I knew of my dad, but he wasn't really particularly in my life. Um, I, my dad was a deadbeat dad. But luckily, I had a stepfather um, in that journey. So he's the one who got me in the studio. He got me rapping. He taught me about hip-hop and culture of those natures. So with um, growing up with two black parents, wasn't I didn't have the cookie-cutter idea of parenthood, but it worked for us. Um, I can't tell you what that relationship is now, but me and my mom, we are working on healing our relationship. We had a nasty falling out because I revealed her that I was transitioning. Um, it wasn't peaches and cream. And I think for my mom, who has always been an ally of the LGBTQ community, she was faced with the fact that this was now in her home. And a different reality came out. So as where my mom could be supportive of people who were not related to her or she was not responsible for when her child had the experience it was a whole different story parents have expectations of you and i'm learning that now as we are rebuilding our relationship um and a lot of those expectations are based in fear a lot of those expectations are based in just wanting to see you be great and a lot of times they sacrifice your mental health and your emotional intelligence because they their vision of your greatness is not what aligns with you so we're working on our relationship and she, my mom is a fierce advocate for trans rights now. She has led to a lot of policy change within the um, New York City Department of Corrections for transgender inmates. She has done the work to make sure that transgender inmates have um, access to healthcare, have access to safe housing in their, um, in their jails and prisons. And she's doing that work and I'm so proud of the woman that she is and continues to be. So my dad, I can't tell you much about him. I was about to ask you about him, but I don't know much. So on that note, <laughs> you know, he provided the sperm and something happened and now I'm here. So. How do you feel about growing up in New York? Do you feel like life would have been different if you were raised in the South or things of nature? Like, do you really think that the culture of New York City really provided a safe space for you to be who you are? I think when when we think of New York City, because New York City always has this fantasy about it, about being the land of dreams and success and, you know, all of that stuff. But growing up in New York City, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in Southside Jamaica, Queens. I grew up in Northside Jamaica, Queens. So being queer of any sort was not tolerated. You know, we lived in a, in a very free and liberal state, but different locations and zones operate differently. Um, 
being queer in Manhattan is a whole different experience from being queer in any other borough. And any native New Yorker will tell you that. Um, usually back in the day, you would have to go to Manhattan in order to take off your blues and be yourself and wherever you could. But when you went, when you went back to your borough, you had to put back on the mask or go back in the closet and stuff of that nature. And I'm glad to see that we're getting to a place where the kids no longer have to do that. So it makes me feel like, oh, the trickery I had to do wasn't in vain, you know. Did you ever get experience the ballroom culture? So when I was younger, not so much. It didn't exist for me. Um, But as an adult, I I am ballroom adjacent. Um, I call myself a 008 because I have lots of body. And I, you know, I dip and dab in it, but it's not particularly something that I can really get into, mainly because there's a lot of heteronormative standards in ballroom that bother me. There's a lot of transphobia amongst the houses that bother me. And what we're seeing now is that a lot of it is coming to light. So a lot of the house fathers are being, you know, read down for their ignorance on the trans community. And I think that speaks to the larger point of how we're all just lumped together under this rainbow flag sometimes. And it's not really a community. You know, a lot of people don't even realize that being trans is not a sexuality because they figure that since it's next to LGBT, that it's a sexuality, but it's not a sexuality. It's a gender, it's a, you know, it's a life, it's people's livelihoods. You know, we see that now with the recent um, talks of um, D. Wade's child, daughter Zaya, and how people truly don't understand the difference between sexuality and gender. And, you know, at 12 years old, I knew I was a girl. When my mom wasn't home, I would dress up in her clothes. Me and my cousin would have fashion shows and we would dress up in my mom's clothes and we would battle it out. Who was the baddest bitch in the living room until my mom's came back, you know? So I knew those things, but I, again, I knew that I could not be that publicly, you know? It wasn't verbally communicated to me, but it was shown in the actions of my family and my community, hip hop and all those things. So that had to remain a part of me that was private. Well, since hip hop is such a big part of who you are, mm-hmm. you give us a little bit of you know, something from your, your vault of brilliance. Do you have anything to provide? Well, I do have my poem that I want to share. Okay, cool. I don't have any, um, no bars. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but again, you know, um, hip hop is not just spitting bars. It's the, it's the community. It's It's the culture. It's the culture. It's the fun. It's the words. It's the sharing, the learning and experiences. So I have this piece that I wrote for the, um, trans day of resistance. And, Um, I don't have it memorized, but I do have it written, so please bear with me if I get a little crazy, but this is one of my favorite pieces to date, and I'm telling you right now, when I remember this poem by heart, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem, so it's called Tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of waking each day not knowing if it's my last. Shaving my face to make sure I pass. I'm tired of training my waist to get me a shape. I'm tired of tucking my love with the stickiest of tape. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing these things to stay alive. I couldn't see this coming down my eyes, so I had to make this poem cry. See, I'm a fat black trans woman. I'm not supposed to exist. With all of this body, these breasts, these hips, being trans is a myth in a world full of cis. And no, I don't mean cis like equal gel and acrylic tips. I mean cisgender. And it don't matter where you land either, because the straights give me their hate, but the gays give me their 
fever, yeah, we the alphabet gangsters, but I noticed that LG and V will often align with the oppressor to violate the T. Now, I don't say it to be mean. And I don't say it to be cruel, but when black trans women are being killed twice a month, what do you do? Do you memorialize our spirit or do you hush your lips in shame? Do you misgender us in death so the families can't be blamed? Do you tell our stories in a humanizing form or do you touch yourself in private watching T.S. porn? See, unlike your tabs, trans folk can be closed and no matter the resistance our stories will be told i had marshall on my pen when i wrote this piece sylvia on my mind when i graced the page octavia and my lips when it's time to speak my mama and my movement when i burns my sage black trans women are here to stay We've always been here since the beginning of time. You cannot kill the spirit when the soul is divine. You cannot make ugly a face so damn fine. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I have diamonds between my thighs? A black poet named Maya taught me to still rise. So I rise above the administration that's crafting my demise. We need access to healthcare. We need access to safe spaces. We need employment opportunity. We need housing. We need people willing to stand up and educate the ignorance so the labor ain't always on us. We need the love of our families. We need lovers in the daytime, even if we don't pass. We need not to be outed whenever you're mad. We need our humanity not to be reduced to sexual intercourse whenever we share our truth. Because at the end of the day, trans folk don't transition for you. Mm. Wow, I got to clap for that. Amazing. You know. <laughs> um, a few lines stuck out to me. Uh-huh. Um, thinking about the past um, and honoring your ancestors, when you think about the legacy that Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera left, mm-hmm. how does it make you feel walking and navigating through the streets today? Do you like? Do you think about them constantly, or is it something that you're just like historically you know that you're carrying the torch? You know what I mean? I feel. I won't say I think about them constantly because um, (laughs) surviving is my constant thought. But I do carry the torch, I feel. Mm -hmm. I do that with my educating. I do that with my public speaking, with my poetry, as you just heard. Um, I think the the part for me that that hurts, and it really hurts, is that these women, back in those times, they started the modern-day pride. They started pride. And it's only what, 50 years later that they're finally getting recognition for something they started. And I think that speaks so much to how it's not really a community and how often trans women are out here doing the work. Trans men are doing the work. However, the greater community still doesn't honor us the way we should be honored. You know, I don't think any one person is better than the next. However, the most marginalized people need to constantly be lifted up because the work is so hard. The work is so demanding and the work is so taxing on our spirits, you know. So when I look at the LGBTQ plus community, I always look with a side eye because I know at the end of the day, you know, we have so many complexions to this. And when I say complexions, I mean race. Race is a big thing when it comes to our community. And I that's why I liberate and I work to liberate black LGBTQ community. The white LGBTQ community, y'all gotta do it for yourselves, however y'all been doing it. However, y'all have historically disservice us because your race 
always comes before your sexuality and it's America. And that's the reality of what we're doing here. So I understand that you're always going to have your best interest in mind. And I don't want to no longer be a second thought in your politic. I should always be the first thought because if it wasn't for us, if it wasn't for Marsha, if it wasn't for Sylvia, you would still be hiding in bars talking about Judy Garland. And that's no shade. That's no shade to anyone, you know. Yeah. That's how I feel about that. And then another part um, that spoke to me in that, that beautiful, orotated poem mm -hmm. was navigating through the streets and being sexualized. Yes. Um, how does it feel to be all that you are um, in this world and know that sometimes people aren't just, they're not going to see you for who you are. They're not going to respect your identity. How does that feel? Just explain or describe that to me a little bit. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting feeling to know, to walk down the street and not know if people want to fight you or fuck you. Oh, excuse my language. No, it's fine. Yeah, okay. Say you mean. Yeah. And I know if people want to fight you or fuck you. And navigating that space, knowing that being trans is so political. Because for me, I am a tall girl. I'm six foot two. Um, I weigh enough. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a big girl, you know. So I'm a big girl who's also graced with beauty. I'm a big girl who's always also graced with class. So a lot of people are attracted to me, whether they speak on it or act on it. They are attracted to me. And when I say attraction, it doesn't have to necessarily be romantic attraction. They're attracted to my spirit. They're attracted to my energy, my laughter, my speak. You know, people are attracted to me. And that's something I had to navigate with because most of my life, I wasn't attractive to people when I identified as a gay man because I wasn't attractive to myself. It wasn't the truth of who I was. So for me, it's interesting to be in a space of being desired and now being sexualized because I never had to experience that before. But now, you know, I get a lot of dicks hard and it's no shade. I do. So when I, when you put in this position, you were like, okay, what do you do? Do you entertain people or do you not like, where the space I'm in now is that I'm freshly out of a relationship and I realize that what's important to me is my freedom and I need to be with someone who can allow me to be free within our union. And that's a very, 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 very poignant thing in my life right now. And I think many trans women will relate to that. You know, um, I think being desired in a way that is often hidden being desired in a way that's often, like I said in my poem, you know, watching tr trans porn, you know, I'm not a porn star, so I can never be what you fantasize about. And you should not strip my humanity, my humanity away from me whenever I disclose to you that I am trans. Cause a lot of men do do that. You know, a lot of women do it as well. And trans people are human at the end of the day. And we deserve to be treated just like anyone else. That's how I feel about that. So you said navigating relationships, you want to be free in the union. Yeah. Um, are you looking for love or have you found love in yourself? More so? I, I found love so greatly in myself. And someone posted on my Facebook the other day. They said the lessons, what I would tell myself um, 15 years ago is that anyone else's love is extra. And that stood out to me so much, meaning that I love myself enough that anyone else willing to pour love into me is extra love. Because what I got, my base, is good. It's real good, you know. So that that statement really resonates with me because that's how I live my life. I love myself so much that I can love others and I can receive love from others. A lot of people don't live in that kind of, you know, mind frame.
And, and what kind of advice would you give to girls out there who would like to be loved by someone else who who do feel like they love themselves and just have yet to find a partner to respect them or on that frequency? What advice would you give someone out there who is struggling to find the love that they're giving themselves? I think it's complicated because love a lot of times is politics in this in this nation, unfortunately. And if you throw on black and if you don't want trans, and if you don't want women on top of those things, it gets more complicated. I don't have all the answers. But what I can share from my experience is that um, looking for love, make sure you're looking for love for the right reasons. Make sure you're doing that internal work of healing any trauma you may have, any sexual trauma, any family trauma. You have to release those demons from you in order to be able to see something that's truly for you. Because a lot of times our trauma, it jades our vision and it clouds our eyes. And we only can see as much as we are we allow ourselves to feel. So if you don't allow yourself to feel free of trauma, you're always going to attract trauma. So when it comes to wanting to be loved, everyone wants to be loved, whether they admit it or not. It's just a human thing. Everyone wants to be loved. But loving yourself is going to carry you over until that kind of love comes and shows itself within your life I feel and I'm thinking also in terms mm -hmm. of love from friends right not necessarily just a, a lover a partner right um how would you say you've been navigating community or chosen family how, how'd you go about finding that and what does that look like for you right now in your life um I, I would like to say that um as far as community dating within community has been the most ghetto thing I've ever done and I think for me, the lesson I learned is that people you build community with don't always have to be romantic, don't always have to be sexual. Um, people are great people, but when you get to know them on a deeper, more intimate level, it can get a little crazy, a little cray-cray. So <laughs> friendship is such a great thing. Friendship, the, the, the work put into friendship. And let me tell you something. Me and the ones I have, I have four best friends. They know who they are. Um, I have about 10 friends. Now people may say, Mojo, you only got 10. I have 10 friends. And when I say 10 friends, I mean people I know I could call today and it's no problem. And so that's 14 people all together in my life who are in constant orbit. But the thing about real friendship is you don't have to speak every day. You don't have to nag. You don't have to be dependent on to me, real friendship is that I know if I call you, it's going to feel like yesterday. And I know if I need you, I can call you for X, Y, and Z. So I have 14 relationships in my life that I know if I needed to do that, I'm good, I'm secured. These people are there for me when I'm not always there for myself. These people, um, I've lost a lot of family members within the last five years of transitioning. So navigating sorrow and navigating... Um, loss and death while taking um, medication that intensifies my emotions has been a roller coaster ride. But these people have always put me back together when I've broken apart. And to me, I'm more willing to invest in that kind of relationship and love because it's more, it's more fulfilling for me than a relationship has been with like a relationship that's just sexual or romantic. I want to know what brings you joy. In this life um anita baker brings me joy in his life and not just because her song is called you bring me joy but i find that as i'm becoming older my in my quiet moments 
I'm always listening to Anita Baker. And this is a black femme who has written some of the most beautiful, oh my God, I sound like a fan, but who has written some of the most beautiful music that is so timeless. And the songs could apply to so many things. It could apply to lovers. It could apply to God if you believe in God. It could apply to yourself. And, you know, joy for me comes in laughter. It comes in light. It comes in food. I love to eat. It comes in projects like these. I love to share my story and my testimony. It comes and being creative and producing content that makes people laugh and laughing from others' content. To me, that's what joy is. Can you talk a little bit about the content that you produce and create? You mm-hmm. know, who is Mojo Disco on, who online? Who is Mojo Disco? Yeah. The world wants to know. Um, the content I create is very, I will say, is very, I create trans content. My content transcends many spectrums many genres you know i'm very funny um i'm very musical i'm very nasty sometimes you know so it's a lot of different angles with me so i create music moments i create video moments photography moments um i've been capturing the community um over the past couple of months and it's been the most rewarding thing of my life because to have content that's for us by us is such a great feeling um you know, I do content because it's another form of documenting our existence. And this is a great example of a documenting our existence. But my content creation, I feel a lot of people ask me, you know, they may ask, oh, why don't you do this this way or do this this way? Or we want you to do this. We want you to do that. Um, if you're not paying me, I'm going to do it the way I'm doing it. If you want me to do something, cut the check. And it's no shade to nobody. But for me, it's just how I document who I am as a person and share my world with the greater world. Is that how you um, finance your lifestyle? Like, how, how do you survive in this world financially? Is it by creating content or educating? I remember you saying that. Yeah. So I am a, um, I work for um, the city. I am a youth educator um, and I'm also an art teacher. And I'm also a fitness instructor, believe it or not. Big girls who do fitness. Um, so, my nine to five is just serving the community, whether it's from an after school program, whether it's from a um, a paint class, whether it's a Zumba class. You know, I'm 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 a worldwide woman with minds, um, but I do make um, residuals from my content that I post on social medias, and that content leads to greater things like um, speaking engagements, hosting, you know, just being involved in more community affairs. So. The money is just attracted to me, I always say. Money is very attracted to me. Money and mojo. Money and mojo. What, what a combination, my God. <laughs> I want to know more about like your party life, like social life. So, you know, you say you have this 14 people there, friends. Yeah. And you said communities, oftentimes you don't feel like the tea is incorporated. What are some spaces that you can maybe shout out that you feel are inclusive to your existence and your identity? Well, first and foremost, shout out to Pain and Poetry. Pain and Poetry was um, was a brainchild of me and a former friend of mine, Fox Gold. We, um, I created the event because I wanted to see the brilliance that was in my generation in a time where everything was about drug use and 
drinking and turning up. I wanted to create a space where it was about the art. Because I do believe we are all walking portraits of poetry. And I wanted to transcend that into a tangible space monthly. So I did that event for six years every month. And we had all kind of rappers, spoken word artists, live painters, singers come from all over the world literally the world to Brooklyn to be a part of my event. So that's my baby first and foremost. But shout out to Kenny. Kenny it has created a new event called Dick Appointment. It is growing a lot of steam in the city. Shout out to that space. Shout out to Black Trans TV for being a voice in a community and you know reaching out and educating folk. When they don't have to do that, they choose to do that. Um, shout out to um, Black Trans Travel Fund for helping the girls get home safe. You know, we love to party. So knowing that we have a safe way to get home from these parties is a great thing. Shout out to the Okra Project for providing meals and providing experiences for the trans community. Um, but as far as partying, I <laughs> believe it or not, back in the day, I was a um, party promoter. So I would promote for a lot of parties. These were straight parties back in those days. So I was a promoter for then and I would come, show up, and it was just so ratchet. Um, but even before that, I used to intern at Atlantic Records. So I was a part of the um, the street team. And I worked with a lot of celebrities. And these are back in the days of the 106 and Parks and all of that stuff. So we would be in 106 and Park. We'll be at SOBs before it got, you know, just bamboozled by just ridiculousness and, you know, working closely with celebrities and learning what celebrity life was. I realized really, I realized early on that that's not what I wanted for myself. A lot of celebrities are um, slaves to the business and I don't want that for myself. I love my freedom. You know, I can imagine myself being, going through all I went through to be trans and then to be trapped under a contract for anything. Like it just doesn't make sense, you know. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. Now shout out to everybody that you that you mentioned. I definitely know that they're doing the work to help community navigate. Right. Um. When you find yourself partying, do you find yourself partying in more queer spaces or straight spaces because you identify strongly as a woman? How does that look like? So you? now I I strictly patronage on queer spaces because I just it just feels safer to me. Um. I find that when I go to straight spaces, it's kind of awkward. Um, I am passable in most spaces and that's something I don't take for granted. However, being treated, um, being objectified in those spaces is very whack mm -hmm. and objectification comes in a form of, you know, men thinking they have access to your body because you're a woman or women feeling that they can, yes, girl, yes, diva you to death because you're trans. Like it's just very, it feels late to me every time I go, you know. But what I enjoy most now in my life is intimate gatherings. It's the um, the speakeasies. It's the house parties. It's the get-togethers. It's the small functions in which we can be intimate with each other and share our highs, our lows, our joys, and our laughters and still be able to hear each other because we're not yelling over the bass. You know, those are the things I enjoy now. Okay. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh -huh. Talked about uh, systematic issues that you may experience. Mm -hmm. So... What are some of your everyday safety concerns and have you had experiences with police and law enforcement? My everyday safety concern is just getting home safe. Just getting home safe. Making sure I'm taking extra precaution to get home safe. Um, I work late, so sometimes living in the neighborhood I live, 
It could get a little sketchy. However, I feel that I am so covered, so covered by my ancestors that I am lucky enough to not experience danger in a way that I feel unsafe. Um, of course, navigating navigating um, the hood as a black trans woman, it comes with its highs, it comes with its lows. But I'm finding that the more I develop within my truth, the more safer I actually feel. So that's been an interesting thing for me. Um, I feel that when I decided to live my life as a woman, that the universe kind of opened up a different energy for me and it paved a different way for me because it was the truth. I was telling the truth. You know, of course, online, people have their feelings and opinions. But it's funny, I don't receive that energy in life. So I look at the complexities of what we're thinking and how we're living. And I'm living, I'm good. I'm very blessed. Not everyone has that opportunity to say, listen, I can leave my house. <laughs> I can run errands. I can eat in public, I can drink in public, I can laugh and joke in public and still make it home safe. So I do not take that for granted. So you no longer feel, I remember you speaking about when you were younger, how you had to put on your mask while yes. being in the hood mm -hmm. and then being in Manhattan, you could be free. I know you reside in Brooklyn, so mm -hmm. do you feel like you can be completely yourself in any space now? Yes. Okay. I'm comfortable wherever I be at. Okay. Wherever I be at. Yeah. I can go anywhere. Like I said, I'm a worldwide woman now. So, you know, I spent so many years being caged and trapped mm -hmm. that literally I can go anywhere and be good, mm -hmm. okay. real good. So you haven't had any issues with police or law enforcement or things that nature? No, surprisingly, okay. I haven't. Okay. Yeah. I haven't. Um, that's not everyone's experience. Sure. And I realized that a lot of that comes with the fact that I am employed, mm -hmm. um, that I do live on my own. Um, and I'm able to support myself legally. So I really don't have those experiences with the police. And that's major. The fact yeah. that you are employed mm -hmm. and you live on Baby, your own. you want to like, talk about blessings? That's yeah. my blessings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, you want to talk a little bit about New York City a little bit more? Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like it's hard to live in New York City? I, don't, I just want to make sure we got into that a little bit more. Well, living in New York City is all I know. Okay. So I can't tell you if it's hard to live here or if okay. not, because this is all I know. Got, got you, you, got know? you. So you never lived anywhere else? No, I've never okay. lived anywhere okay. else. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like it's changed over the years? Of course. Like, what, what type of things have changed, like, from being baby mojo to now? So I think what I see from growing up as a native New Yorker is that gentrification mm. and understanding the the full spectrum of gentrification, most importantly, because initially we're taught that gentrification is just, are oh, they fixing stuff up in the community? But then you realize real soon after that, they're not fixing stuff for you mm -hmm. and the people like you. Mm -hmm. And seeing so many of us having to leave because we can't afford to stay here anymore. You know, gentrification has been a disgusting thing. Um, but I've also noticed that people are more accepting in the city, especially in the hood than they have been before. Don't get me wrong, it's still it's still very um, unsafe in certain areas. You know, some places I just don't go because it's just too ghetto for me. Mm -hmm. But I do find that there's a level of, may not be acceptance, but tolerance. Because not everyone's seeing that more people are living in their truth that is not just make-believe, that it's not mental illness, that people are just choosing to live in their truth and exist in their absolute form. And I think people are learning more to respect that in New York than they have when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you couldn't be different. You had to fall in line. 
you had to present a certain way. If you was a black man, you had to be a thug. You had to be gangster. You had to be a gangbanger. Those were your options. And after you went to jail for those things, you had to come out and be a reformed individual. You know, you had to be uh, a gentleman at that point because no one told you to be a gentleman from the beginning. You know, as women, you had to be covered. You had to be um, all of these things and... Still, I call it the scarlet letter syndrome where, you know, there was always that one woman in the hood who was the whole of the block or X, Y, and Z. But now more women are respecting sexuality, respecting sex work and things of that nature. So it's, it's changed drastically in my 27 years. And I think that, well, I know um, things have become a lot more radical in terms of politics. I wouldn't say yes. maybe a lot more than the past, but I think we're returning to a point where collectively, especially if black people were coming together um, such as Black Lives Matter. Where do you feel you fit in those political movements, if even at all? Well, I believe wholeheartedly that these movements like Black Lives Matter, these are all movements created by queer people. And to see how it's been hijacked by the greater straight community um, to serve their needs is, is troubling to me. Um... I find myself being less and less more engaged in political work because of the fact that in many of these black liberation spaces, trans people are still denied access. Um, and I find that I don't want to be amongst my people and feel like I have to fight amongst my people and then fight the greatest struggle. Mm -hmm. I do recognize the work that's being done and I do support the work that's being done. But for me, I can't devote myself to a cause where the cause don't give a fuck about me. Like, and that's just the reality of it all. You know, I'm, I'm very pro-black. I'm very black. And I love the fact that I am black and I fight for um, blackness 24-7. But when a narrative, the only narrative we have is to save black men from police reform, to me, it's it's a disservice to the fans. And so fans, black women are being targeted by the police at equal, if not more rates than black men. But the narrative is only the Trayvon Martins. You know, we, we can name three black men who have been slain by police, but Sandra Bland or Corinne Gaines is the only people we know that's a, that are women folk who have, but it's way more than that. Well, black trans women. Black trans yeah. women, period, are being killed twice a month, and no one is saying anything about it. Mm -hmm. No one. It's just it's just in the last two years that people are being properly um, gendered and deaf. Because a lot of times we are misgendered and deaf, and that's like just so whack to me. Mm -hmm. So no one's doing that work but us. Mm -hmm. And then if you figure the life expectancy of a black trans woman is thirty five years old. It's like, damn, baby, you're not too far from glory. Like, what are we, what are we really doing to make sure that Black trans women have long-lived lives to share our stories and share our messages? You know, so a lot of the political work for me is just very, it's very one-sided, and I find myself having to navigate away from it and just work for me and mine because we're literally all we got. Yeah, and what do you suggest that we do to? remember the lives that were lost for, for black trans women? Like, what do you suggest uh, people do? Or how do we integrate those communities together? Because black is black, right? But, right. So how do we move forward and ensure that the lives of trans folks don't go in vain? So what needs to happen is that we need to celebrate the lives of trans folks before they're taken. Because we cannot recognize death if we don't celebrate life. You, you can't have one without the other. You know, black trans folk have to be 
love and celebrate it while we're still here to smell the roses. You know, so that in death, it wasn't in vain. I think the black community has a lot, a lot of apologizing to do to queer folk for the trauma that they have inflicted within our blackness. I believe the black community needs to start hiring queer folk, specifically trans folk, because we are skilled, we are qualified. And it's, it's kind of crazy speaking about it, like we're less than human, deserving of the same opportunities and, you know, love and life and relationships, but we are qualified. We are lovers. We are fighters. We've always been here on the lines for you. At what point is it going to be reciprocated? That's the question I have to the greater black straight community. At what point is it going to be reciprocated? Because when I look at all of these movements, the Black Lives Matter and all of them, there's always queer people at the forefront of these movements and it's never acknowledged. When I look at, we are 100 years, in 2020, we are 100 years from the Harlem Renaissance. And I look at the fact that most of the players in the Harlem Renaissance were queer. And how that was strategically erased from history. And I asked myself when the, the ghostwriter of the civil rights movement, Bayard Rustin, was a black gay man who was excommunicated because he was a black gay man. You know, when I listen to music and I hear Whitney Houston and I hear the Luther Vandross, people who were queer but could not be queer because society made sure that they were not queer. You know, these are things I always think about. We are always disserviced in this fight. So what has to change? If we're telling our truths, that can't be enough and you're still creating closets. We have to change internally in order to see a greater change globally in our blackness. And it's time. And I'm, I'm thankful that people of my generation are now saying, yo, fuck that. It's like, that's not going to work anymore. That's not okay anymore. We're not hiding. We're standing up strong in who we are and our beliefs. And... I love that. I love that. And again, it goes back because I always say now, I've been saying for the past couple of days that um, Zaya Wade is my wildest dream. Living, she's still my wildest dream because she is so supported by her black family and not only supported, celebrated. We need to see more of that. Yeah. Period. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, talk about healthcare. Okay. Um, what has your experience been like? Navigating healthcare as a black woman of trans experience. Um, as a black woman of trans experience, navigating healthcare has been, I call it the old wapti. And the reason I say the old wapti is because a lot of times I have to lie to get resources that I, I deserve. You know, um, and in New York City specifically, there's no middle. You either have to be rich or you have to be in extreme poverty in order to make any kind of move. There's nothing for the middle class. And being the fact that I work for the city, I will be considered like middle class. But in reality, I'm still poor because I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And I know all I need is one paycheck missing to mess up my whole life. You know what I mean? So that to me, that's poverty. You know, so for me, when they look at my pay stubs, oh, you make this amount of much. Okay, every time you come to the doctor, it's going to be $100. It's like, miss, I don't have that. I don't have that. Like, you need to look at the number after taxes because that's what I'm dealing with, you know. And even being trans, being knowing that I have to wait to change my name in Social Securities because I want to make sure I get my tax money and my name so it's no funny business. You know, it's a lot of things that people don't even think about in those regards. But it's, it's a lot. 
it's a lot. But when it comes, so like I said, if I'm not lying about it, um, I'm telling half truths because I deserve access to health care for my transition. You know, I'm lucky that I now have insurance through my job that covers everything. That's not everyone's experience, you know. And if I was to get fired or lose my job, I would be asked out again as far as it comes to health care. Um, I would have to apply for public assistance, which is Medicare and things of that nature. And I'm not knocking that, but being that I make so much now, I can't even get Medicare. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle of just trying to find your best way to navigate all of this stuff. So my advice to everyone who's in the struggle, if you got a lie to get what you need to get, lie. If you have to, um, not tell the truth all the times, don't tell the truth all the times. There's certain organizations I think I'm a babysitter for a living because I need their services and I can't afford their services because I am black, because I am trans, because I am woman. So do what you got to do to survive, period. And I want to know what defines your womanhood. Um, Oftentimes, cis-hetero women describe their womanhood as being an anatomy thing, and I I know that's the reason why there is so much transphobia. But what does it mean for you to be a woman? To me, my womanhood is defined by three words. Strength, courage, and wisdom. And those three words are literally the way I navigate my life. So my womanhood for me is being a mother to the motherless. It's being a mother to myself at times where I didn't have a mother. My womanhood is tapping into my feminine energy and letting it be the lighting light, leading light in my life. My womanhood is loving my partners in ways that they not have they may not have always received my womanhood is my talk my fashion my style my grace my womanhood is a 360 thing like it doesn't end and it shows up in so many ways my womanhood is also my emotions <laughs> like I, I go through so many emotional changes and I've never been an emotional person until I started transitioning so learning to navigate that, learning to navigate pain, because women, we take so much pain on our backs <laughs> and ca- we carry so much burden. So my womanhood is strength, courage, and wisdom. That was beautifully expressed. Thank uh, you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I want to know about a time where you felt truly seen. So if you could take, like, seen being loved mm-hmm. um, by anyone or people, group of people, Tell me about the time where you felt seen. I think I feel seen within a community. Um, I, I have, a, like I said, I have a group of people who love me regardless. Um, but I think a moment in which I felt seen for sure was um, in 2019, the Trans Day of Resistance at Samsung. And I performed the poem I recited earlier. And I I just felt so seen, not only by the people in attendance, but I felt seen by the ancestors. I felt seen by uh, my mom who was there. I felt seen by just, I just felt seen. I've never felt so embraced. And I've never felt so, what's the word I'm looking for? I never felt so important in a moment as a black trans woman. I felt these feelings before as I navigated life pre-transition, but in that moment, after that poem, after performing that poem, and it's much better because I had a sax player at that point, so the emotions is really hitting different, but I felt so important, and I felt so, I felt like a vessel 
in this fight. Um, and I think because now that ballroom is becoming such a popular thing because it shows like pose and whatever have you, ballroom is making people see the community in such a humanizing way. And I thank them for that because ballroom has not always been accessible to folk who are not in cities, urban cities, or don't even know what community and ballroom is like, you know? So I thank them for that. I thank organizations that center trans folk in our stories because it helps get the message out that we're not only just sex workers. There's nothing wrong with sex work, but we have so much more depth to us. And, you know, that's that. You know, I get seen when, I feel seen when a man can look at me and my, my wholeness and can see my beauty as it radiates from within my luscious body. That makes me feel seen and yeah, I feel seen when I look at myself every morning. And when you're looking at yourself, what are some things that you say to affirm yourself? Damn, bitch, you did that. You did that. You did that. You chose not to complete suicide. You did that. Mm. You did that. When I look at my smile, like, I take a lot of pictures. I look at my smile. Um, it's not often that I'm smiling in pictures because I feel like that's such an earned thing for me. Like, to see my smile, that means you are truly seeing my joy. And that's a shared moment. And with pictures, pictures everyone has access to pictures. So I don't always give you a smiling picture. I'll give you face, but I'm not always going to give you a smile. Um, <laughs> and But, you know, just looking at myself as a survivor, a survivor of molestation, a survivor of segregation at one point in my life, and a survivor of just love going badly, <laughs> you know, I'm still here. And it's just it's the greatest feeling in the fucking world. I'm happy you're here. Thank you. Um, so if there's one thing that you wanted to be remembered for, what would it be and why? Remember Mojo as the woman who shook the table. Remember Mojo as the woman who broke up every room and bust through the doors. Because I think my work is, like I said, transitional. I won't be known for just one thing because I'm too great <laughs> and my excellence is too abundant. I will be known for many things, but know me and remember me as a person who took those necessary steps to open up the doors for so many others in a community. And I think if you look at my, um, if you look at my track record, everything I have done has been to inspire others. It's very selfless. It's not self-serving. I'm not really a self-serving person person you may see the beauty you may see the glamour you may see everything mojo 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 but a lot of things i do is not self-serving it is for the greater of the community um i have an annual 90s house party and every year the proceeds from that party goes to black liberation organizations and justice you know a lot of people don't know that um Every platform I have, I used to share other people's stories and experiences while also sharing minds. Even sharing my truth is a selfless thing because a lot of people choose to keep their secrets, but I release them to the world for greater testimony and to help educate and eradicate systems that are systematically oppressing us, you know. So instead of being tired in the world, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight because I chose to live. So I'm living, what you're seeing is me living in my fullest form, in my fullest truth, and in my greatest light. Is there anything else you want to add to this conversation that we've had today that you want to leave people with? I want to leave people with the, the notion that fat black women, especially fat black trans women, are here to stay. 
<laughs> we are not a novelty item. We are literally here to stay. Um, black trans people in general have always been here. And we will continue to be here. And that's why we are documenting our stories. Because so many of our, of our ancestors didn't have the privilege to do so. So we are being the change that we literally want to see in a community. And I want to leave people with the thought that no one is going to love you better than you love you. And if more people did the self-work of loving themselves, we would see more radical change within community, within just the greater nation of the world. Um, I want to leave you with the notion that love comes up in many different ways. It's not always romantic. It's not always a hookup. It's not always a bust down. Love comes up in many different ways. And celebrate each way and enjoy each way and learn from each mistake. Um, and lastly, I want to leave people with the fact that mojo is literally just that. Mojo. Well, Mojo, we honor, we love, we Thank celebrate you. you every single day. Thank it was you. an honor to have this conversation with you, Thank to you. dive more into your past. Um, if you could just let me know, what do you see the future for us? What does it look like? I think the future for black trans folk look like looks like um legislation mm. in a way that's never been introduced it looks like ownership of our stories and our existence it looks like love that is unbiased that is not based in heteronormativity it looks like love that is true it looks like freedom to, to exist and a future I see for us because I'm going to put my life on the line to make sure is that trans children are always protected no matter what. Well, thank you so much. Thank I you. I appreciate you.